listening to unscripted reactions, COVID stories. And on this week, we're looking into COVID's impact on education. We didn't really have time to prepare our students. We didn't have time to prepare anything, really. I have students whose parents are going through a divorce at this time, or uh, students who you know, were evicted and now looking for a place to live. I didn't realize how much students were struggling because I'm getting good submissions, but until I kind of do a video chat with them and see them like so excited to see you or excited to like talk about next year when they, you know, they hope to be on campus. One area of impact from the COVID virus that still remains to be fully understood is its impact in the education field. Somewhere in the middle of March, as it varied from state to state, teachers around the country from preschool through college were told pretty much without any warning or guidance that school was effectively put on hold. Administrations and districts scrambled to deal with the logistics of providing online learning to their students, not all of whom could even be guaranteed to have computers or reliable internet access at home. I spoke with a handful of educational professionals, both during the initial lockdown week of March 23rd and again this past week of May 11th, to hear firsthand how our education system is handling the crisis. Ashley, a teacher in Washington State, spoke to how quickly the orders came and what little time for preparation that left. And then all of a sudden, two weeks ago tomorrow, we were in school and uh, one hour before we were released, we got the word that we were closed for six weeks until the end of April at the earliest of going back. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really have time to prepare our students. We didn't have time to prepare anything really. Um, we had a brief meeting after school and they told us to take some stuff and We've kind of just been in limbo. We haven't really been told much. We, we, um, the first seven days we had, um, they used them as inclement weather days. So we, uh, didn't really have to work from home because they were still trying to figure everything out. Um, yesterday was our first official work from home day, um, where we're just right now we're just required to check our email several times a day. Um, do some online uh, professional development and uh, maybe do some Zoom meetings and Zoom calls. But as far as meeting with our students, we still don't have any information yet. Steven, a high school teacher in San Diego, started talking about potential shutdowns with his students a few weeks before the virus hit the U.S. And he thinks this will change how schools look at digital learning in the future. I remember I started talking about it. I teach a lot of economics, so I was mainly talking about economics, just what was happening in Wuhan, China and then a little bit of Italy, and then there was kind of the murmurs of what's going to happen to our school if things start accelerating as they, as they were. And basically, we had like a timeline where we found out essentially Thursday, we were supposed to have a staff meeting on Friday to talk about it, but then things accelerated so fast that Thursday, we had a quick all-staff meeting at lunch to kind of say, hey, tomorrow's probably going to be our last day for at least a little while. And it's tough for teachers because they essentially – um, got pushed, some of them got pushed in this situation within like three days. So like, there was like, no, we're good. And then it's like, no, we're all closed. And I think how quick it happened. And I think it happened quickly for good reason, but I think how quickly it happened, it pushed the teachers to kind of challenge themselves. And personally that our teaching staff, I think has embraced the challenge of creating, I know, uh, one of our, our math teachers, Mr. Takagi has been creating content online and all these, all these teachers have been trying to figure out ways, again, to essentially maybe only lose a couple instruction days instead of five instruction days a week. Zachary, another high school teacher in Southern California, shared his story of discovering schools were going to be shut down while teaching his class. 
the kind of atmosphere was really was really weird. We we ended up having good kind of conversations in each of the each of the periods about, you know, what do we know about the virus at this point, and what are what measures are being taken, and you know, you know how can we still be you know, you know, make sure that we're still you know mentally prepared. And then literally, you know, halfway through a speech in third in my third period class, a student just blurts out like, "School's canceled for three weeks," and I went and and checked my email and. Um, Sure enough, we had just gotten an email like at like 10:30 in the middle of the day that like school was going to be canceled for the next three weeks as they kind of figure out what was going to happen. So the it, it kind of hit us really quickly. Most teachers, you know, got, gathered what they could, and and that Friday evening, you know, when school school ended, but no one had really prepared. There had been no training, and so we kind of went into a three-week hiatus with you know a lot of uncertainty. Rachel, a grade school teacher in Washington, who I also spoke to this week said her school was at least partially set up to already be engaging with their students online before COVID. You know, our district did a really good job, even before this, of already um, already supporting the online platform. And I mentioned Seesaw before. Rachel described Seesaw to me as a Facebook for students. We already had classrooms with kids, and we were already encouraged at the beginning of the year to reach out to parents. And although I hadn't really used, I had only, only used it as kind of a communication piece. Yeah. It really is kind of a portfolio piece for the kids too. They can take pictures with the iPad and post it on their journal and that kind of stuff. So I hadn't done that part, unfortunately, like the portfolio part with the kids too much during, uh, during the school year. But the communication piece was kind of already there with at least a handful of my parents. And so now that it was kind of strictly with that, there was at least kind of a bridge. They've encouraged us to just do 30 minutes of each subject of, of a, a day. So just in case you have, you know, families who are working nine to five still, and wherever they are being taken care of at that time, at night, it's not a you know, yeah. five pages worth of work or, or a whole day's worth of schoolwork in there. And so um, that's been really nice to kind of have that minimum of just this is what you should be presenting to families. Um, and also I collaborate with my grade level as well. So all of us have the same plan. So all of second grade is kind of on the same page. Like I do daily videos. So as you can see behind me, I kind of have a a makeshift classroom wall, um, but I just do a daily video with my schedule on this side over here um, and that. So it's just a quick video, but I'm in no way have to do that and in no way, yeah, we're not required to do it, so. Even with some slight hiccups, now at least a solid month into online learning after spring break, all three teachers I spoke to this week seemed pleased with the transition, at least as much as they could be, for something that happened so unexpectedly. But there was still a primary concern from all the teachers I spoke with, something that has been coined the COVID gap. And before we talk about the COVID gap, Ashley spoke about the summer slide. Um, I feel like it's kind of like the start of the school year when kids have off all summer, a lot of kids don't read at home or don't do any work at home. Um, so we call it the summer slide. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing. We're going to have to start from scratch with classroom management and expectations and um, probably do a lot of review of where we left off. Zach agreed that the COVID gap or a somewhat measurable difference between where students would have been without the virus interrupting school 
definitely will exist in addition to any summer slide that already happens come fall. One of the things that we're trying to, to do is to, uh, in our Monday staff meetings, have a vertical alignment where we are talking about kind of what are the skills that we feel our students, you know, up until that point that we left um, had mastered and what skills have we yet to kind of uh, fully teach or fully have them master yet so that we can kind of anticipate the holes that are going to be there so that next year's teachers um, can have an understanding of, you know, what are some areas that they might need to circle back to or, you know, what are some areas that they might need to actually teach that they just kind of assumed that past years had taught. Um, English is, is, is kind of lucky in that the standards for 9 and 10 and uh, 11th and 12th are the same standards and, and they're very skill-oriented. Um, so it's, it's, it's more of like a honing of the skills. So that, that makes life a little bit easier, but it's, it's still one of the things that um, we're a little you know, wary of, especially a lot of teachers, you know, no one really wants to introduce new topics during this time because it's really hard to kind of teach a new concept. So it's a lot more just making sure that the, the, the topics and skills that we have covered already that they have mastery of. Jessica, a teacher from Riverside, spoke to how online learning is potentially going to create a gap by itself. Going to the homeschooling format, um, some kids are going to be really responsive to it. Depends on how the districts implement it. Um, some of them are going to block formats, so you're going to sit in front of a computer for a couple hours a day, they're going to go over instructions, but that all depends on if parents are going to now police them and make sure they're doing their work and they're submitting yeah. it. If parents don't, and their parents are already going to be under a lot of stress, it's going to be a huge problem and they're going to have to spend part of next year reviewing everything that was missed at the end of this year. Steven spoke about how his school is specifically trying to bridge and lessen that gap as much as humanly possible, especially if a potential school closure lasts into the fall semester. We know there's going to be a gap, but our goal is to essentially shrink the gap as, as small as possible. We know there's going to be remediation next year, but we don't even know what August is going to look like at this point because so many schools have been trying to figure out and plan and, you know, I'm moving to a counselor position next year. And the idea of trying to figure out their 2021, 2020, 2021 schedules is tough because we're not exactly sure if we're going to be able to have full classroom sizes, how often we're able to meet. So we right now are piloting a bunch of different potential programs in order to figure out what would be the best for the students and best for our parents and our staff. Rachel believes that while the gap will definitely exist in students come fall, some added student enthusiasm to actually be back in school may help. I feel like you're always gonna you're always gonna have that. You're always gonna run into that. Um, I think I don't want to say we're I just anticipating in the fall. I do think that it's gonna happen a little bit more. But I also think that the kids are just going to be so excited to be back with other children their age. Yeah. I think you're going to get th that honeymoon period that I like to call at the beginning of the year. It's different for each group of wonderful children, but uh, it's, it, it really is. But, um, but I feel like that honeymoon period of really establishing a community again is going to happen a lot more. It's going to be more important that what we like to call SEL, which is social emotional learning, 
is going to be front and center. It already was just for our population, those who have been through trauma, those have have been through um, violent and drug related and uh, incarceration issues already. So I feel like we are now shifting that focus and even more so focusing on that social emotional learning. So as much as they're going to want to be a part of that community already, I think that there's going to be a little bit of reteaching of being in a room with people still, but, um, but I just feel like their, their hearts are just going to be so full of just being, having a teacher, somebody else who's not their mom or dad or sister or brother or aunt or uncle who's talking at them all the time and they get to go outside and have their own friends and, and all that. So I just feel like there's going to be a lot more joy in the beginning of the school year. There's going to be kind of that breath of fresh air. Um, a little bit of apprehension, I think, is going to be there. But um, but again, that social emotional piece is is going to take precedent. And then those academics, they'll pick back up. One of the common threads that also came up between all of my teachers was how to make online learning equally accessible to all of their students. Jessica spoke about how districts are potentially handling this. They're finding out who needs technology and what type of technology they need in order to supply that so they can get working. Um, special education, kids who receive things like RSP and speech therapy. Yeah. Um, there's parents already mad their kids are missing services. Um, my mom happens to be a speech and language pathologist and she's setting up Zoom classrooms and setting up different modules depending on what their particular speech impediment is to assist them and to provide therapy um, remotely. So they're trying, the districts are trying their best to not lose as much information as possible and it really comes down to the parents and the kids being willing to also step up and meet them halfway and understand that this is new water. We have no idea, we really have no idea what we're yeah. doing and we're trying to make the best of it. Yeah. Aaron, who works at Student Housing at a college campus in New York, said not even all of the students at her college have laptops. Originally, they had the library open, and then on Friday night last week, they shut it down completely for students who had no access to the internet. So I do think it's something they do need to consider in the future is, hey, some people do use financial aid, some people do use out-of-pocket, and some people do not have money for a router and a laptop last minute. She did mention that even though all the students were sent home from campus, the state did keep in mind that not everybody had a home to go back to. The state, um, they what they did was they reached out to people who would have no place to go, and at 12 o'clock today, they made them pack up everything and they went to that new location. Okay. So they didn't want to displace them. So I, I don't know how many people were left over throughout the city and the state. Yeah. Stephen shared that his school was trying to keep track of students who weren't turning in as much work as the rest of their peers to make sure they aren't falling through the cracks because of unequal access. What we've been trying to do is we kind of have like a list of students that, you know, aren't turning in work regularly. And what we've been doing is the student counselors have been reaching out personally to them, to their families to find out what they can do to help. For instance, I had one student who has a brother and sister and they only had one computer between the two of them. And they didn't know that they could pick up computers from our school. So I connected them to the administration and then they came by and bar borrowed a Chromebook in order to like finish the last three or four weeks. So stuff like that where they missed the communication about if you need computer or they didn't think it was going to be an issue. But then they realize how much of the stuff is online. 
So we've been trying to work with families with internet, a little bad internet connections or lack of uh, computers at home. Now I can only imagine what my reactions to a pandemic like the COVID virus would have been when I was in high school, even more so if I was a senior in high school. The only parts of school I truly enjoyed were the interactions with other students. Whether it was during class debates or being generally obnoxious teenagers during lunch, the personal connections and relationships I had with my friends and some of my teachers are by far the most memorable aspects of my high school experience. I wanted to hear what some of the schools were doing for those senior students who had their entire last semester of high school completely upended. Jessica shared some of the ideas she has been hearing. It seems like communities are trying to still make it special. Like yeah. there's communities that are talking about doing car parades. So all the seniors get driven in their oh, cars, they really drive cool. their cars. Or the parents drive their cars and the seniors sit in the cars and wave in all of their, you know, graduation regalia and they drive through the neighborhoods and people will, you know, stand at the end of their driveway and wave and cheer. So at least we're acknowledging, there's, it may not be hearing your name as you walk across the stage, but it's an acknowledgement of we see you. Zach's high school is trying to do as much for their senior class as possible, including a unique take on a drive-through graduation. For our graduation, um, we're doing a, a couple things. The first thing is we're doing like a, a senior shout out video. Uh, so seniors are encouraged to send a kind of a video discussing their senior year, you know, the, the highlights that they had and shout outs to friends and teachers. And they're being compiled into like a, almost like a senior yearbook um, video. We're also doing a digital um, commencement. So the, you know, the valedictorian speaker is gonna record themselves giving their speech. The principal is gonna record their speech. We do a thing because we're the nights where we have uh, our, you know, our, our teacher from England who reads this, you know, poem about the legend of the knights and he usually does it in all squire garb. Um, and apparently he's, he's got the garb and he's going to do the video from home. And um, so trying to kind of keep some semblance of the ceremony. And then students are actually going to do a, a drive-in ceremony where they can actually, um, we'll take a chunk of students per day and they'll be able to drive onto the campus, uh, walk out in their cap and gown, uh, take a picture on a little makeshift stage where everyone's, you know, six feet apart. We kind of get that ability to kind of walk walk across the stage. We do a we touch the sword and the stone because we're the knights. Like when they enter as freshmen, they do an assembly and they touch the sword and the stone. When they graduate, they touch it again. So that sword and the stone will be there for them to kind of. I don't know if they're going to touch it because of the germ stuff, but it'll be there symbolically at least to kind of signify the the graduation. Stevens High School was also trying to make things as memorable as they can for their senior class. We actually did one this morning where um, seniors could drive by and pick up a sign saying like, you know, proud member of ECHS class of 2020. And a bunch of the teachers, like we wore masks and we were being socially distant. Me and uh, Mr. Vitasic dressed up like Mario and Luigi to add some fun and excitement for the teachers uh, and the students. But they came by and we just, we, they drove by, we all cheered. A couple, a couple of the teachers had drums. Um, uh, Mr. Waterhouse had his guitar. And we kind of, they drove by, we gave them a sign, we cheered, you know, a couple of the kids were even crying, like just, they were so excited to like see us, we were so excited to see them. So that was one quick thing that we just did. I know our social media um, campaign of like senior spotlights. So the Eskimo Charter uh, Instagram is doing like senior spotlights of seniors, you know, each week they post a couple pictures of seniors and kind of a little story about them to give them recognition. Uh, and then we did our arts festival online this year because we had all this great work from first semester and second semester before we close. So um, we, our admin team and tech team got together and figured out a way where we can portray 
they're inc- some of the kids just did an incredible job with their work. Um, so that was like really, really cool to see them. And it wasn't just seniors, it was, you know, so- sophomores to, to seniors. He also spoke to how his school is trying to work with parents as closely as possible to come up with potential graduation alternatives. The goal right now is to figure out what to do with graduation. Um, I know, for instance, uh, San Marcos High School, you know, a fair amount of students, they're doing like a drive-by, they take a picture with the night, and then they move on. So we're trying to figure out what the best way is. We might push the graduation to a little bit later in order to buy us some time in order to prepare something, whether we do just the student um, ceremony and live stream it. Uh, We have some tech team looking at that. We've talked about doing completely virtual. We've talked about the drive-by so their parents can take a picture. So we're just going through all the the gambits, basically all the scenarios and try to figure out what would be the best. And I know our administration is sending a letter out to the parents this week, kind of asking them what option would they prefer to try to get their voice and some feedback from our parents. Both Zach and Steven also talked about something I find extremely important, which was the mental health of their student body. But you start to kind of hear like, you know, the, the, some of the kind of really unfortunate stories, like I have students whose parents are going through a divorce at this time, or uh, students who you know, were evicted and now looking for a place to live in a time when it's really, really hard to find a you know, spot to live, uh, people losing jobs, concerned about family. And so there's a, there's a giant mental health aspect that is, I mean, students already have a lot of, you know, had a lot of stressors and things that they go through in their own life, but without that escape, and even really without an efficient way to really communicate with them. Because, you know, as much as the check-ins are great and I'll try to send a follow-up email, it's not the same as that kind of face-to-face interpersonal connection. So I think that's going to be one. So we're going to talk about, like, the, you know, the skills gap that students are going to have. I'm also kind of worried about the emotional or, or mental kind of traumatic gap that might be happening when we start to come back to school. That's, I think that's, a, that's something to be a little concerned about. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a couple students that are working and their parents are currently not working. So they're, they're like the, the main person that's working in their household. So they're trying to pick up extra hours while still trying to be a full-time student. So the difficulty of that, you can imagine. The harder things are dealing with students that are dealing with depression or dealing with issues before they even went on this. And now this isolation has essentially like uh, made it exponentially worse for the students. So our goal is we have you know counselors on campus that reach out to them, reach out and then communicate with the teachers how they're doing, what they need help with, uh, how's everything going, and then we get feedback from them and see where we can go from there. Do we need to modify some assignments? Uh, what are the most important ones that we want them to complete? Stuff like that is kind of what we're going through right now in these last three weeks of the school year. Kids need that human social interaction, and I think a lot more students are struggling right now. and. I mean, it's it's kind of like, a, of course, but I think I didn't realize how much students were struggling because I'm getting good submissions. But until I kind of do a video chat with them and see them like so excited to see you yeah. or excited to like talk about next year when they, you know, they hope to be on campus. I just think there's a lot of hope and the hope and, you know, my my hope is that like that can come to fruition that we can actually get to a place where we can safely be on campus, but I just don't, I don't see it happening in the near future. And that's what's tough is like, 
Like, how can we get them? That's why should they come every other day? Should we come every day but do morning and afternoon? We're all coming through, like, thinking about the social emotional. And I think that's something that was on my radar, but not nearly as much now moving into this counselor position is like thinking about the actual social emotional needs of your students and put that in the, the front, in the front, you know, the front part of your mind, as opposed to focusing more on the academics and having that as a periphery idea. Stephen also talked about the emotions of being a teacher who has been unable to see his students for the past few months. Yeah, I mean, it's for sure emotional when you think about like some of these uh, students that I've had that I've known since they're freshmen. They finally made it to second semester senior year and we're not going to be able to likely see them graduate in person or, you know, see them one last time. It's tough. I'm already getting we just sent out the email saying that we were going to be closed for the rest of the year. So I've already gotten a couple emails from students, um, you know, saying that it's like really tough. So those, you know, those make me even more emotional because they're just like, man, these kids are so sweet. They don't, they don't deserve this. These are good, good kids that deserve to, to be celebrated. And, and like I said, we're doing stuff for the seniors as much as possible, but it is, it does weigh on you as a teacher because I mean, one of the reasons why we, you know, the main reason people get into education is, is, is for the kids and to, to influence the students and to, to make them better people. And it, you know, you can do that only so much being remote, you know, you need to see them, you need to ask them how they're doing face to face, you need to check in with them. And it's, you know, you can do all the zoom chats you want, but at the same time, there's something about the human connection that's being lost. And I think that weighs on a lot of teachers. I'm seeing, I have a lot of friends who are teachers at other schools as well. And you can see how emotional they are when you talk about their kids and they just miss them. You know, they, they hope they're doing well. You know, some of them, you know, haven't been able to contact them. So it's all these things, all these, all these flourish of emotions that are kind of affecting people. Think about my seniors, their first semester where they don't know where they're going to college. They don't, there's a lot of unknown that, that, that leads to panic and stress. And I feel like a lot of people in education are feeling panic and stressed right now because we, we don't know what's going to happen in August. Rachel shared some of the emotions that she believes she'll be dealing with heading into the summer. I think once the summer happens, though, you, I think there's going to be a lot of teacher depression. I mean, I uh, to be honest, like I already go through kind of a, like a depression in a way. It's or. Um, I don't want to say a depression, but it's almost like a, um, like a reflection period. And you almost like go through what you could have done, what you should have done. Now, what am I going to do next year? And da, da, da. And you almost, you spend that summer thinking about it. I feel like there's going to be a lot of that, de- uh, lack of a better word, I guess, depression in that way of just like, well, that school year is over now. And now, <laughs> now I can look forward to an unknown school year as well. I think going into that season, it's going to be very interesting to see like what kind of feelings show up because it's like, I can relax now, but yet I'm kind of have to stay by myself and I have to be careful and like all that. So it's going to be an interesting season. And then warming up into the next year, we're just going to be like, so what's going on? Like, what are we doing? (laughs) Because it's, it's not a hundred percent guarantee that we're even open in the fall. Much like how I believe there needs to be a real discussion about how long to continue to keep the economy closed despite its disproportionately negative effects on small business owners and lower to middle class families, 
I also believe that when talking about reopening schools come fall, there should be concern about the health and safety of faculty and students, but there should also be an equal level of concern about what happens if we don't go back into regular in-person school functions come fall. California University schools have already made the decision the second week of May of 2020, that their fall schedule in 2020 will consist of nearly exclusively online classes. Steven spoke to some of the concerns that he has if schools don't come back in the fall. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that should be a, a focal point because, I mean, for many students, the school, like we talked about earlier, is an escape and it's their, their safe place where they feel comfortable. It's an environment that's conducive to them being able to be who they are, uh, for them to grow as a person, as, a, as an individual, and as a group. And without that social interaction, right, the, the motivation starts dropping significantly. And I've been impressed with how motivated our students have continued to be, even though, but if this go, keeps going on, you can see eventually there's going to be a breaking point where the student just like, I'm not motivated to work. Like, I don't see any of my friends. I don't get to play sports that's just going to be tough. So I do think, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I think Georgia reopened a little too early and I'm worried about doing something like that. And I want to put, you know, you can't just think about necessarily the students. You got to think about their families and how far it goes. But I do think that needs to be involved in the conversation because I'm just seeing it firsthand meeting with the students and talking with the students who are struggling and I'm only seeing just the tip of the iceberg for my school because uh, our full-time counselors are dealing with it um, and trying to figure out ways to help these students where our counselors are interacting with 30 or 40 students that are just really having a hard time on a daily basis. Finally, Zach, Stephen, and Rachel all shared some of their advice for parents who may be finding themselves a little bit more hands-on with teaching their kids than ever before. I think one of the big kind of shifts that's going to have to happen mentally and culturally within schools is is especially if this continues is the kind of more and more one-on-one -on -one conference more and more of those smaller connections and I think that oftentimes a lot of times students need to kind of make, get that responsibility which is I mean easier said than done but um, I'm noticing that what's what's worked the best and I think where the students are the most successful are those since you are reaching out to meet up, even if it's in small groups, they not always have to be one-on-one, -on -one, but in small groups of like four or five with friends from the class to kind of do more guided conferencing where there can actually be a, communi a communication and collaboration. Yeah. Um, just because I, what I'm noticing with a lot of this, you know, recording my lectures or, you know, showing up to a meet with 30 people is that it's great for transmitting my ideas, but it's not always as helpful for students uh, participating or having a chance to kind of collaborate, ask questions, oftentimes they feel intimidated by that. So I would, you know, encourage parents to uh, reach out. I know, if, I know for myself and for a lot of other teachers, we're, we're honestly half the time kind of sitting there waiting for someone to reach out and, you know, we have office hours and um, we, we, I think we, we miss the students as much as the students probably miss that sense of normalcy. And so that's, I've noticed that's the best way. And I, I think it's just a shift because a lot of times students are used to you know, they'll cover it in the classroom or, you know, they'll he'll come up and check in on me. And it's not that we don't want to check in on those students, it's that it's going to kind of, the responsibility kind of have to sh has to shift, I think, a little bit to the students and parents come reaching out for that, for that support. Parents are, for maybe the first time, getting a first look into 
how difficult uh, it is to teach some of the students. But uh, in serious, the, the whole purpose of, of what's happening right now is for teachers and students to kind of figure out how can we navigate this new climate and be successful. And the parents are going to be a huge part of that because we obviously don't get that hour checkup every day where we're like physically asking the student how they're doing and we're with them. So it's like the parents become an extension of us as the teachers and say like, Hey, did you do your homework? Do you need help? Did you reach out to your teacher? Because the whole thing that I think parents need to understand is to keep an open line of communication um, with their student and, and with the teacher. I'm up for the challenge. I like the challenge It's something different and it's kind of pushing some of our teachers to do something different. And I think there will be some positive takeaways amidst this crisis. Give yourself some grace in trying to teach your kids, but um, have some fun with them. Do experiments. Teach them real life um, things like how to do laundry, how to run a dishwasher, how to change oil in a car. Um, I don't know. It's just something that's real life that they'll actually, not that they won't use things that we learn in school, but um, things that they'll need to know as an adult and read every single day. Um, don't stop reading and try to have some fun and stay inside. Thinking about people who maybe don't have kids and don't, you know, maybe are planning on having kids, but just understanding that there are people like teachers who are connecting with people out there and that we're happy to be in a position that we can at least have that connection. And so we are, we do feel like we're giving to the world. And so no matter where you are, if you are doing something to better the world around you, I mean, this is what we're choosing to do. I think we're all going to get through this together. If we just have that like mutual, we're all in this together, no matter what your job is for the world. And even if you don't have one right now, that, you know, you do matter and that we, we are all in this together and we're going to get through it together. Because if not, then we might as well just shut off the light like we're done, you know? While President Trump considers schools reopening in the fall a necessary part of being able to consider our country coming back, various health experts, including Dr. Fauci, have expressed some concern. But regardless of what happens, I am confident in the teachers of this country. My high school teachers, like Steven from this episode, who I had as both a sophomore and a senior, played a significant role in my maturation and growth from an energetic teen boy into a somewhat responsible young man. Without a teacher like Steven putting books like Freakonomics and Outliers in front of me, engaging with me on my level, it's doubtful that the idea for this podcast ever even crosses my mind as a young adult. My senior year AP English teacher has been one of my biggest confidants and supporters during my past few years of writing and producing independent TV projects. My yearbook teacher not only reignited my passion for being a professional filmmaker, but also stretched my mind with philosophy debates from Socrates to Voltaire. I trust that teachers like Jessica, Ashley, Steven, Zach, and Rachel truly do care about their students, and not just in terms of their academic growth, but their emotional and mental growth and well-being too. So no matter what happens come fall 2020 and beyond, I like to believe that our kids are still in good hands and maybe we can just pay our teachers a little more too. So thanks for watching and listening to this week's episode of Unscripted Reactions. Stay safe and stay healthy.